Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by Composer. Michael and I have been talking to the founders of Composer for a number of months now to kind of better learn how their website works. And this is a cool thing. So I pulled up two different, what do you call it, symphonies. This well, what is Composer? And this, Just back out. What's Composer? So Composer is basically a place where you can do quantitative rules-based frameworks for asset allocation, trading strategies, and you can go really deep on here. You're basically creating your own algorithms using their tools. It's like a portfolio visualizer, like one a step further, and you could actually implement all of those backtests. Yes. So just to give you a better idea of the various strategies you can do on Composer, some of them could be very detailed and more trade-oriented. Some of them could be more longer term. So they have one that's called the Stoic Finance Presents Inflation Spiral Hedge. Obviously, this is a strategy that is looking to take advantage of inflation. And this has commodities, gold, short 20-plus-year treasuries, and consumer staples. So four ETFs. This portfolio was up 40% in 1919 Germany. Damn it, I can't remember what those years were. But just go with it. This year, it's up a little more than 8% versus a 17% downturn for the S&P year-to-date basis. But you can also add other rules in here in terms of some of the technical analysis stuff that you've looked at before. RSIs and uptrends and downtrends and a lot of different rules. But then they also have simple asset allocations that are from some of the legends. So they have a Ray Dalio one, they have a Warren Buffett one, but then they also have the David Swenson one. What's a Warren one, Buffett one? Includes, it's actually just, I think, 9% S&P and 10% cash. Remember he put that one out a few years oh, ago? Oh, okay. Okay. Pretty simple. So they have a David Swenson one who was the former CIO at Yale, someone who I looked up to in the institutional world. So he has tips, treasuries, REITs, US stocks, emerging markets, and international stocks. It's a very diversified global portfolio. So you can do something like that where you have just a set it and forget it sort of buy and hold and rebalance portfolio, or you could do these tactical trading strategies using algorithms that are pretty intense if you really want to get into them. So go to composer.trade to learn more and play around with these things. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Ben, did you get your ticket to Future Proof? I hope so, because... We're speaking there, so I think don't we automatically get a ticket? It's September 11th to the 14th, and if you're on the fence, get off that fence and come join us. And we've been talking on the show about how our day job, we're talking to a lot of financial advisors who, not that they're disgruntled, but if they're looking for more, for greener pastures, and they want to come join us, that would be a good spot to come talk to us and By see the way, if- I read every email that said that I'm a gruntled financial advisor. We said we don't necessarily have to be disgruntled. It could be gruntled. And a lot of people said, hi, I'm gruntled, but I'd like to talk to you. (laughs) By the way, we're doing a live animal spirits there. And I think we might even try to get some beers with fans of the show, potentially. Don't hold us to that, but it's possible. A few Miami Vies. There you go. All right. As the Wall Street Journal is wont to do, I just love the interviews that they do with people. I honestly don't know how to get them, but they say that rich Americans keep spending, rich people keep spending money. So I'm going to start with this and then I want to go into some of their interviews. So they said, wealthy people actually ramped up borrowing the first half of the year despite rising rates in a stock market route. 
So they said wealth management units at Morgan Stanley and Bank of America posted double-digit loan growth in the second quarter. Morgan Stanley said mortgages rose 30%, while securities-backed loans and other loans grew 23%. And instead, the current rates on those securities-backed loans are still like 3.75 to 5.75. But if people have a ton of money, they can get lower rates because they can up their collateral. Now I want to talk about, because obviously, I think rich people are going to be fine in all this. If anyone's crying for the shedding tears for rich people, yeah. So now- They also had this article saying that the upper middle class is getting squeezed. And they define the upper middle class as anyone with an income between $75,000 and $127,000. That's basically more than 60% of the household. Yes, that's how they break it out, I think. So I want to read you the start of this article here. Mark Yu had a profitable pandemic. Like many Americans, he added to his savings and pulled in big gains from the stock market rally. He purchased a house in his new hometown of McAllen, Texas, then a duplex, then an eight-unit apartment complex in Cleveland. But 2022 hasn't been so kind. His expenses have grown because of higher costs for gas, groceries, and the dog food for his four German shepherds. The value of his stock holdings is shrinking. Four German shepherds? That's a lot of dog food. It's Mr. Yu, a 33-year-old who's lived in the U.S. since 2014, is now taking on credit card debt and typically working seven days a week. Previously, he was socking away as much as $3,000 a month into a brokerage account. This year, a couple hundred is the most he's been able to muster and hasn't been able to put in anything for the past three months. Now, I don't want to poo-poo anyone's financial problems because obviously inflation can be a killer to a lot of people's budgets. But look at this first thing. Mark is probably spending $500 a month on dog food. Well, it says he purchased a home, a duplex, and then an eight-unit apartment complex. I'm sorry. Gas is not your biggest budget item right here. You literally bought a real estate empire. I'm just saying, sometimes I think people can blame- Takes money to make money. <laughs> I don't want to like poke fun at people, but I want to say sometimes I think people spend too much time blaming the government instead of looking in the mirror for their problems. It's the government's fault because inflation is high. My gas bill is up. How much money are you spending in gas versus that eight-unit apartment complex you bought? Now, here's another one. Ken Barrow retired in 2018 as a physician assistant. Last month, he returned to work part-time driving vehicles for a car rental company three days a week so we could stop making withdrawals from his declining retirement accounts. During the pandemic, I saved a lot and was able to bank a substantial amount of money, he said. Now I'm drawing on that savings this year. 69 years old. Don't do it. Just asking. Don't do it. It says he like cut back on driving, he cut back on restaurants, he cut back on being generous for his granddaughters, and he traded in his Dodge Challenger for a hybrid to save money on gas. Now... Again, I'm not trying to say that inflation isn't causing issues for people's budgets when you're retired. But I think also part of the thing is you have to build into your retirement plan that you're going to spend down some of your assets. And sometimes those assets are going to be down. If you're going to be retired for two, three decades, you're going to have four or five different bear markets, maybe more. Obviously, we've experienced two in the last three years. But I don't know. I'm not saying that inflation isn't bad. I'm just saying that sometimes people's the way that they plan out their finances can make it worse. Am I being too harsh here? No, not at all. In fact, you're being too unharsh. I think some people deserve responsibility. We could say that people should take personal responsibility for their own financial situation. And also we could say that inflation sucks and is hurting a lot of people, especially people that were irresponsible and people who were responsible that are just getting crushed by inflation through no fault of their own. So there's all different shades of black and white and gray here. I will say the, but are we sure, the upper middle class- th- Are we sure what? this is a bear market? Because I think oh. the White House might quibble. The White House might say, uh. Uh, a bear market is when stocks fall 140%. By the way, the animal spirits got ahead of this one. We said two or three weeks ago that this is going to be the biggest argument, that GDP could decline. And I think it comes out Thursday, the GDP number. And GDP, We're going to get back to that. We're going to get to that later. P 
people are going to flip out. By the way, I will say the upper middle class thing. I don't Stop know. Stop saying, by the way, it's your third time. We're not even 10 minutes in. Yellow card. Yellow okay. card. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. All right. You go. Listen, we're professionals. <laughs> hey, on podcasting, sometimes you have a crutch. Like if you ask someone a question on a podcast, <laughs> they have to say great question sort of. so they can think yeah, about what to yeah, say. Or yeah. there's a lot to unpack here. This is how you transition, Michael. Maybe I need to get a new transition. So I think that the upper middle class thing, I don't know what I would have thought the range would have been, but I will say, I think a lot of those people probably are getting squeezed a little bit because you look at this excess savings chart here from the Wall Street Journal, and it shows people who make 188000 and above had the biggest excess savings over this period. But I think a lot of people on lower income scale have been seeing massive raises in a lot of ways, especially in the service industry, and they got a lot of help from the government. And the people who are on the higher end they did fine because their assets all went up. I think people in that middle, upper middle class, whatever you want to call it, probably did get squeezed the most because they didn't get a lot of help from the government. And they also probably didn't have the financial assets enough to make it through. So it's kind of like the middle class getting squeezed again. And real wage growth has been negative for a while, a few yeah, months in a row. Well over a year now. All right. So let's get to this White House thing. You know, I got to say, I understand why Twitter did what it did because that's Twitter. But I found this to be not controversial, really in the slightest. What did Twitter do? I must have missed this. Twitter was hemming and hawing because of this post that we're about to share, that the White House is trying to say, disregard the- For misinformation? Hold on, let me finish. Disregard the GDP data released on Thursday, because even though we might be in a recession, we're not actually in a recession. I'm kidding, but here's what they really said. The White House is for sure tipping us off that GDP is going to be negative on Thursday. Yeah, so that's material public information that I actually, you know what I did? It's been a while since I placed a bet on Calshi. I place a bet on Calshi. Interesting how the betting brain works, Ben. On Thursday, as we just said, I'm telling you, on Thursday, GDP, will it be over 0%? Will it be greater than 0%? Meaning, will it be positive? I bet no, and it cost me 78 cents. So then I said, man, I'm going to bet 100 bucks to win 20 bucks. That's like the juice isn't even worth the squeeze or whatever it is. But if you get a 20% return... On a annualize that exactly, exactly. It's not bad. All right, so here's what the White House said. They did a blog post. What is a recession? So people on Twitter were freaking out because they think that the White House is moving the goalposts. The White House said, "What is a recession?" By the way, was this on Substack? Where's their blog? White House. Did they right, steal not this on from a wealth of common sense. I wrote the same article two weeks ago. What is a recession? While some maintain that two consecutive quarters of falling real GDP constitute a recession, that is neither the official definition nor the way economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. Instead, both official determinations of recessions and economists' assessment of economic activity are based on a holistic look at the data, including the labor market, consumer and business spending, industrial production and incomes. Based on these data, it is unlikely that the decline in GDP in the first quarter of this year even if followed by another GDP decline in the second quarter, indicates a recession. I spot no lies. I spot no lies either. So not entirely controversial to me, but I understand exactly why people were up in arms about this. We talked about this. People are going to freak out if this happens and say the White House is making up their own definition because here's the thing. This hasn't really happened much and it probably won't happen again where we get this type of situation because of the pandemic. Joe Weisenthal wrote this morning, every recession since the end of World War II the U.S. unemployment rate was either climbing prior to the declared recession or it rose during the period where a recession was declared. That's not the case in the first half of 2022. Since the beginning of the year, unemployment has fallen from 3.9 to 3.6. 
You can say the economy is bad, real wage growth has been negative, shortages are persisting, inflation is high, but this measure and how different it is from the run-up to previous economic slump suggests the term recession may not be a good way to describe what we experienced over the past several months. Basically, again, it's not a good situation. The economy is bad in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean it's a recession. Could not agree more. And I would also say that the first half of the year, even if we get these two quarters of negative GDP growth, was not a recession. However, I still think that we are going into a recession. Or I would hand, I don't know what the odds I would put, I don't know, 62%. I think there is a greater than even odds that we will see the unemployment rate tick up. I think we're seeing a lot of evidence that a storm is brewing. It doesn't have to be a tsunami, but we are getting evidence from Walmart, AT&T, Verizon, Shopify, go on down the list and we'll get to all of that soon. So in review, not a recession, but could be going into one. Economy and political people are going to be arguing about this for weeks if this happens, and they're going to lose Quarters, their minds. months. Yes. So if we do get a recession, that is going to bring inflation down. Like inflation probably is already coming down now based on commodities and gas and all this stuff. Do you remember how following the 2008 crisis, I witnessed this personally from a lot of people, people could not get out of the doom and gloom mindset following that crisis? Yes. That's going to happen with inflation too, but in a different... So I think Zero Hedge and Michael Lewis for writing The Big Short are personally responsible for like breaking the brains of millions of investors. Michael Lewis did it unintentionally. Zero Hedge did it on purpose. But I think millions of investors had their brains broken by that and they decided to buy gold and I'm never buying stocks again and all this stuff. I think that's going to happen with inflation, but in a different... So inflation is going to be the next big short in terms of when the inflation numbers come down, people aren't going to believe it or they're going to use different numbers or they're going to say the government is making them up and they're going to be fighting this inflation fight for the next decade, no matter what happens with the numbers from here. People are not going to believe if and when the inflation numbers come down, even if it's caused by a recession. I think they're still not going to be able to get out of that mindset. So I think inflation is going to be breaking some brains in the next coming years. That's what I'm saying. So what evidence are we seeing that inflation has peaked? Well, we're seeing interest rates come down pretty materially in anticipation potentially of a softening economy. You're seeing all of the soft commodities roll over cotton, cocoa, sugar, lumber's down almost 60% from its highs. Wait, how is lumber a soft commodity? Lumber should be a hard I don't commodity. Know. It should. What I'm is looking, not soft? Yeah, it's not soft. Metals. What's not coming down are meat. Meat is not coming down. And what else? Yeah, you're right. It's still expensive. Butcher box raised my prices by 20 bucks a month. And natural gas. How am I is not supposed to feed down? my family with fillets now? <laughs> natural <laughs> gas is not coming down. <laughs> oh, gas prices. Thirty-six days in a row, and this is a bit stale. So, thirty-six days in a row, gas prices continue to fall. The national average is down three cents. Whatever, it's down a lot. I think I saw. By the way, this Patrick DeHaan guy, gas buddy, he's from Grand Rapids. Oh, really? I think I saw under four twenty recently. All right, Walmart. This is their CEO, Doug McMillan, said the increasing levels of food and fuel inflation are affecting how consumers spend. And that was Walmart giving their profits going to be lower than we think. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. This sounds like a cop out to me because every single retailer we've been seeing for the last three months has been saying our inventory levels are too high. We bought too much stuff. Now we're going to have to do markdowns. I think that they're blaming inflation on this. And I think Sure, food and fuel inflation. Like, I don't know, are they asking all their people who come in why they aren't spending more money? I think it's just the fact that these retailers had way too much inventory and now they're going to have to mark it down and they're using inflation as an excuse for their profits being lower. Is that fair? Partly fair. That's 100% true that they overordered because they were too behind, which no fault of their own on the being behind but part. But also, people, people spend 18 months just buying too much stuff. 
then they overcorrected. But are you trying to say right here on this podcast, sir, that inflation is not affecting Walmart customers? Do you think that people are buying less food because isn't it just like a substitute? Maybe no, people instead of no. buying Cheerios are buying the O's from the bottom shelf or something. No, but Walmart is not just a grocery store. I think they're cutting back on everything else, all the discretionary stuff. Right. But that's the thing. People spent 18 months buying stuff, 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 stuff. We need more stuff and consuming. And now they're doing experiences. So they're leaving the stuff behind. Sure. Inflation can be part of that. I think there's more to going on to it than that, though. I think you can't just blame it on inflation. Uh, I disagree with you because I think that a lot of the people in the middle to lower income don't have the means to spend on experiences. <sighs> have you been to Disney? I think before? inflation is hurting them. I'm sorry. Have you been to Disney? There's no way everyone there is high income. I'm sorry. If you go to people watch at Disney, I'm just throwing it out there. Not judging. I'm just saying. Have you ever been to a water park before? Every millennial parent now is tatted head to toe. I'm just saying. All right. This is interesting. I was looking at this the other day in terms of sectors for the market. So here's the sectors that are outperforming the market. So the S&P is down 16 or 17% this year. Here's the sectors that are outperforming. It's more sectors than I would have thought. Utilities is basically flat. This is as of the close on Monday. Consumer staples is down 3%. Energy is up 35% still. Industrials are down 13. Financials are down 15 and materials are down 16. Oh, and healthcare is down seven. Healthcare is a winner. It's more sectors than I would have thought are outperforming this year. All we hear about is tech stocks, but- So what's bringing the market down? More than half the sectors are outperforming. It's tech and discretionary. Yes. Because basically. we've been over this a million times. The names that are keeping the market up are mega cap companies that nobody cares about. United Health, for example. But as we talked about last week, it's also surprising that all the big megatech companies besides Apple are down more than the market. And the market is still holding up. Ed Yardeni was on Bloomberg yesterday saying, I'm going to throw my head in the ring and I'm going to call a bottom. I don't know how you could call a bottom or a top of anything. But if like stocks did bottom, I think we're probably lucky things didn't get worse. I mean, this has not been a very fun year by any measure because stocks and bonds have both done bad. If the stock market topped out at like a 24% drawdown, I think we lucked out if that was it. For S&P 500 index fund holders, I would agree. The NASDAQ got hit it pretty hard. It could have been worse. Yeah. Well, it was worse. NASDAQ was 30 plus. Individual it still could get worse. stocks if, blowing up. If we have a prolonged recession, then maybe stocks keep going down. I don't know. I wouldn't feel comfortable calling a bottom here, but Ed could be right. I hope he's right. All right. What else? Where are we going next, Ben? Oh, this is interesting. Bespoke had this data point. This is like a week stale, so forgive me. By the way, it's Tuesday morning. What happened this morning? We found out that Shopify is laying off 10% of its workforce. Walmart See, there's the 10% number. We'll I told you. That. Yeah. Every company starts with 10% of their workforce. They're not done. Nobody stops at 10%. Some consultants told that like, just like someone said to economists, you have to use 40% anytime you're guessing something. 10% is the line. McKinsey made that up and everyone else just went with it. Oh, that'd be curious. I guess you don't get 10% layoffs all that often, but when you do get 10%, does it stop there? Usually feels like the first wave. Not typically, right? That's the first wave. All right. So the NASDAQ closed above its 50-day moving average for the first time in 68 days. Said differently, the NASDAQ was below its 50-day moving average for 68 days. You have to go back to December 2008 to find a longer streak. So we've been basically in an uptrend for the last decade plus for tech stocks. It's been relatively smooth sailing. So we finally got a downturn and now we're coming back up a little bit. I guess what I would say is, is that it? Was that too easy? And I know it wasn't easy. It was the worst first half of a year in a long time. But so stocks peaked earlier in the year. Stocks peaked in January, what, second, third, something like that. And then they make their ultimate bottom six months later. 
and that's it. Feels like this could be longer lasting. And when I say feels, I'm literally making that up. That's how I feel. Counterpoint, the S&P was down 34% in 2020, and then it was down 24% nope. in 2022. What? We've had just, two bear markets in three years. We're up 2020 out. It does not count. It does count. It happened. Not to me. Does 1987 not count? Nope. Nope. Not at all? For what I'm talking about, 2020 has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Two bear markets in three years. That doesn't happen very often. And yet, uh, we're talking in circles. Oh, we've spoken a lot about how stocks are the best inflation hedge. One of the reasons why are the dividend component, which is very, very steady. The S&P 500 annual indicated dividend rate reaches $550 billion for the first time. This comes from, I believe this is Howard Silverblatt. Yes, Look at this line. I mean, that's pretty darn smooth. That's a pretty good trend. If I'm a technical analyst, I'm buying this chart. That's a buy and hold. Isn't that what you and Josh say? I'm buying this. That's a never sell. On the other side of nasty charts, the inventory to sales ratio, we're looking at cars, spiked in 2020 during the early parts of the pandemic when obviously everything shut down, nobody was buying anything. And this reversal and lack of recovery is pretty startling. What is going on with cars? Why is it taking so long? I keep asking this and people keep saying it's just semiconductors that are so far behind. So I actually talked to, I have a friend whose family owns a car dealership and I was talking to him this weekend and I said, this has to be tough for the family business because there's demand and no supply. And he actually said, actually, yes, the volume stuff kind of stinks, but guess what? Our profit margins have never been better because no one has the ability to negotiate. No one can talk down a price because it's basically take what you can get. So he said, and the prices have been rising because there is no supply. So he said, on a profit basis, we've never been more profitable. Obviously, it would be nice if we could have more volume to make up for that, but the volume comes and then it's easier to negotiate. But I think here's the thing. When inflation goes down, the ability to negotiate is going to make a comeback. And I think that's yes. something people, for because of supply chain stuff and because of inflation, for the last 15 to 18 months, people have not had the ability to negotiate besides me with my cable company. Other than that, though, no one else can negotiate. And I think that's going to be coming back soon. I think that's a good thing for consumers that especially like the Walmart and Target stuff about Walmart talking about their profit. People are going to have some deals. And I keep telling people like I was looking at TV prices. I got a TV I need to buy. Maybe you should too if the line's still on there. But I feel like we haven't really had Black Friday the last two years because of supply stuff. Black Friday this year is going to have some amazing deals. So I'm saying if you can, if you're in the market for something, you wait and you buy stuff on Black Friday, there's going to be some awesome deals and markdowns. It's coming. All right, real hey, estate. They should have me on the yeah. Today Show talking personal finance. That'd be a great Today Show point right there. Which part? Oh. Don't buy anything on Black Friday. Yeah. Come on, Today Show. Bring me on. Why this personal finance expert thinks you should wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You've got mortgage demand dropping to a 22-year low. What are we looking at here? What are the metrics? Oh, applications for mortgage to purchase a home dropped 7% for the week. And we're 19% lower than the same week in 2021. A little bit of relief there. Home prices, we just got Case Shiller data this morning. Home prices in May were 19% higher, 19.7% higher year over year. This marks the second month of slower increases. Oh, whoop de doo So in April, the annual gain was 20.6. Now it's 19.7. This is going to be the inflation thing. Inflation peaked. It's not 9.2. It's only 8.7. Yes. We can build on that though. <laughs> I just want to put in context the home price gains that we've seen. I was looking at this. I'm doing a piece and I'm going to talk about it on Portfolio Rescue on Thursday as well because it was a question from someone. But I looked at the real home price gains. That's after inflation because someone asked, do home prices do better during inflation than like stocks or bonds? So I looked at them all and I broke it out by decade. So going back to the 1930s, I used data from Schiller. 
And this is, again, real home price growth by decade. And then I looked at, I used the 2020s Wait, real, as a decade too. When you say real, are you using government CPI or Shada? <laughs> Whatever Robert Schiller uses. <laughs> so the gain from 2020, his data only goes through like the spring of this year. The gain on a real basis, this is even after accounting for high inflation, was like 21% from the beginning of 2020 through the start of 2022 after inflation. That gain in two years and change is a bigger gain than all but two decades since the 1930s. So in the first two years, basically, of this decade, we've seen bigger price gains after inflation than all but two decades. And one decade was the 2010s coming from a low, and the other decade was the 1940s when people came back from the war and bought houses. So what do we think is responsible for that? COVID? People moving out of the cities? I think it has to be. And I think remote work is going to be a big thing people look back on in years and go, oh, yeah, all those rich people from California and New York moved to Austin and Nashville or whatever. I don't know any other way to explain it. We're starting to get some confusing data out of the housing market. Redfin has this, I think it's a weekly report that they release on some data in housing and they're showing- Hopefully they don't go out of business because their stock's down like 95%, but they have amazing research on the housing market. The content's at an all-time high. So looking at the four-week rolling average of price drops, that is spiking. It's at the highest level since 2015. But on the flip side, you're still seeing some homes come off the market very quickly. So 41% of pending sales are under contract within two weeks. So I'm not quite sure how to square those two circles. I guess that means that the good houses are going quickly, but the people that are listing their house at ludicrous prices are facing a reality check. How about this for a strategy? You put your house on the market for a high price, you give it a week and you don't get anything and you drop the price, then people swoop in. Is that what's going on right now? Potentially? Did anyone buy the house across the street from you yet? Not yet. I will definitely let you know when it sells. Oh, this is interesting. We've been talking about a lot about what's priced in. So Connor sent tweeted a week ago, probably the worst week for housing market news flow since March 2020. And ITB, which is a home builders index, is up 3.5% of the week. What's it doing now? Eh. Well, the funny eh. thing is it was falling as you were games. getting good data too. That's a tough one to handicap right now. Trying to handicap the home builder sector with rates rising and price cuts coming in and people not buying as much. I don't But is that the kind of thing where the majority of people who are building, we talked about this, the rich people doing fine and borrowing more money these days. Do rich people even care and just buy right and keep building right through this kind of thing? No, I think that they're psychologically impacted by inflation just like everybody else. And financially, a lot of their stocks are falling. I think higher rates have more to do with what's going on in the housing market than inflation. Inflation, for all intents and purposes, what was your tweet yesterday? Intensive purposes? That was a good one. Thank you. I think inflation is, if anything, a good thing for the housing market because- I think I would have said that home builders down 40% might have been overdone, but now they had a pretty nice bounce. They're in no man's land as far as I'm concerned. I have no idea. All right. This one was interesting from John Burns Real Estate Consulting. They looked at housing as a percentage of GDP and went back to 1959. They look at the housing costs and utilities, furniture repairs and maintenance, and then construction. And it moved around a little bit. It's been relatively stable, but it makes up 20% of GDP if you add all three of those up. Housing is a huge component. I do think that if you want to have a macro shock worry, mortgage rates staying high or going a little higher and really messing with the housing market, that could be your like bigger macro shock than people think right now. Counterpoint to myself, if I may. They're coming in a lot. But counterpoint, someone asked us a couple weeks ago, well, if housing prices fall and people who 
bought in in the last couple of years see their housing prices fall, aren't they screwed and doesn't this whole house of cards fall? And the thing is, no. as long as people keep their job and can still service the debt, who cares if housing prices fall? Maybe from a psychological perspective that hurts, but that doesn't mean that the economy is all of a sudden going to fall. The reason that it happened last time is because people took on loans that they couldn't service and they had adjustable rate mortgages that went up and they couldn't make the payments. That's not what's happening now. Yeah, I would dismiss those concerns. All right. Who's this from? CB Insights did their second quarter fintech report. And not surprising at all, late stage deals are down bigly, down 41%. However, mid-stage, so I don't know if that's like maybe BCD, I'm not sure how they qualify this, is flat and early stage hasn't budged at all. Can you imagine calculating your drawdown if you were a company that was in the late stage about to go public? and you were counting your stock options, and you say, I'm worth $8 million when we go public, and now my company is marked down 70%. How many people do you think are in that bucket? Oof. Is that millions? In the millions? Probably. Millions? Gotta I don't be know about millions. Millions of employees? I don't know, hundreds of thousands? I'm not saying tens of millions. <laughs> okay. That'd be a lot. <laughs> You're so out of touch, Michael. You don't think there could be 2 million employees at private companies that had a seven-figure Stock portfolio, private stock Two portfolio. Two million people? Two million? That's a lot. I was just throwing it out there. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is almost as bad as me trying to guess how many gallons fit into a bathtub. I'm that still getting bad. wrecked for that one. I really don't think two million is that high. I mean, maybe I take it down to a million. Maybe hundreds of thousands. Come on. Two million? How many hundreds of thousands are we talking? Low Two or like seven? Thousands. All right. Two. Could be right. All right. Let's get into bad quarter, guys. Oh, the quarter app that we've been talking about for weeks now, it just keeps getting better. They're doing this thing called Segment where they isolate or they break down like the where the revenue is coming from. So for the iPhone, for example, here's what services, here's the Mac, here's the phone, here's the watch. Geography breakdowns, it's phenomenal. And this week is a busy one. So it's Tuesday morning after the bell. Jeez Louise. We've got Microsoft, Alphabet, Spotify, we had 3M this morning. We've got Visa. We had McDonald's this morning. It's too much. It's Coca-Cola. On Wednesday, we've got Facebook and Shopify and Ford and Amazon on Thursday. Apple. Oh, man. We've got some energy companies on Friday. We've got a week. We've got a week. All right. So let's get right to it. I am very much looking forward to DoorDash and Uber. Last week, I placed an order and it was 100 bucks. It was for me and another couple. It's like 100, 110 bucks, something like that. To get it, Delivered for DoorDash, it was $170. said, I'm not doing that. In this economy, what are you, nuts? I've more or less given up on using DoorDash. I got on my card. I went to go pick it up. Oh, what happened was I went to the Geno's in Seaford and I gave them, I said, hi, here for pickup. Name, Michael. Don't have a Michael. What did you get? Tell them what I got. Like, did you call the Geno's in Baldwin? I said, I might have. I called the Geno's in Baldwin. Eh, it was too far. I wasn't driving. I called Geno's in Baldwin and I apologized profusely. Sorry, called the wrong place. So I say all that to say that- Wait, did they give you a refund? I didn't pay. I would have made you eat that cost. Okay. I didn't pay. I felt a little bad. I didn't pay. All right, so Nick Fong. Who is Nick Fong, you might ask? He's one of us. Nick Fong was a gentleman that was quoted by the Wall Street Journal. He said, I definitely have been cutting back on delivery and other excess spending. My girlfriend has said multiple times, why are we ordering DoorDash? Let's just go pick it up. So, Ben- and listeners who can go to our blog and look at these charts, look at By this the chart. Way, before we get into this, let's say in 10 years, there's an expose that says the Wall Street Journal is literally making up these quotes and making up names for people. Ooh. 10% chance? 
I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But would that surprise you? <laughs> Nick Fong is a pretty generic name. But yeah, he's 29, lives in Los Angeles. Yeah, he could be a real person. Multi-food delivery spending and order volume changed from a year earlier. Needless to say, this spiked in the pandemic and has been going straight down since. And if we do go into the recession, this number is going to collapse and go negative. Nobody's going to be doing this. You're right. It's so expensive. The interesting thing too is that you hear these stories of a lot of people who say, I'm just going to be a DoorDash driver to make up some extra money. That's probably going to go away for a lot of people potentially as an option. The stock of DoorDash looks like junk. Uber does not look much better. Does Lyft do food delivery? I don't think so, but they're basically at an all-time low as well. Oh man, yucky, yucky stuff here. All right. So we had Netflix report last week and they lost a million subscribers, which was less terrible than expected. The stock had a big pop. It's held most of that gain since, but the report was interesting. Reed Hastings said, it's definitely the end of linear TV over the next five, 10 years. I take umbrage with that quote because I, for one, am never, ever (laughs) cutting the cord. Ever. I'll be the last man on earth with cable. I would say maybe 20 years, but 510 seems ambitious. So in their earnings report, they showed the cumulative volume. They sourced it from Twitter. So they looked at engagement and they compared Stranger Things Season 4, Obi-Wan, and Top Gun. And these numbers, just anecdotally, don't jive with my mental framework. They're showing that Stranger Things did, I don't know, five times as much volume on Twitter. the explanation here. I got the explanation. As Top Gun Maverick? Certainly not in my age cohort. This is because young people love Stranger Things and young people are the ones. Young, yeah. Okay. But it actually wasn't a bad season. It was just so long. I feel like they're trying to jack up their numbers of... We had a billion hours watched of this show, whatever their metrics are using. It was ridiculously long. They pulled it off way, way too much. They need to like get an editor. I don't know if we ever discussed this. Are you a junkie action guy? I feel like you're not. Okay, are we talking about the gray man here? Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. If it goes to like Fast and the Furious 9, it's like too cheesy for me. But I thought yeah, the agreed, Gray Man agreed. was the perfect... The plot of the Gray Man was ridiculous. If you're one of these people Who that cares? wants to poke Besides holes... Yes. It was so entertaining. Like, there's a difference between an entertaining movie and a good movie. This was an entertaining movie, and I thought Ryan Gosling was fantastic, and Chris Evans as a bad guy perfect. is very viable. I thought the movie was... If you just want to turn your brain off, I liked that movie way more than I thought I would. <laughs> I think Netflix is getting better at making movies. That was the first one to be that felt like a Hollywood movie. It did. Well, they spent $250 million on it. That movie, if you're an action fan, gave you everything you want. If you're going to poke holes in the gray man, just maybe chill out, relax. If you're going to be one of those people, maybe killing like 150 people in a town square to kill this one guy, probably not the best idea, but he's a hard to kill. It was very satisfying. Very satisfying. This was interesting. They broke down the share of US TV viewing in billions of minutes viewed. I mean, look at this. Netflix is... More than CBS and NBC combined. Wow. Disney Plus and Prime Video and Hulu and Apple are like, I don't know, half of Netflix combined, all of those are. Netflix is still the king. What are you looking at? You're going to talk me into buying this stock. I mean, Netflix is still the king. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but they did have less worse news after their quarter last week and they popped up and let's just say I got a few emails saying Ben called it, nailed it, just... First time ever for a stock pick. I do want to buy the stock. I just think there's no hurry. All right, so Snap reported, and it was a debacle. It was just 
a straight up debacle. Can I make a comment here? Please. I think one of your blind spots in stocks is that you think Snap is more important than it really is. Me? Yes. You get really excited about when Snap reports, and I think it's just not an important company at all. I don't think it tells us anything about the broader market or the economy. Well, you might be right. I guess my excitement is because this is just pure advertising, but Eric Jackson tweeted, so Meta fell in tandem with Snap, but Eric Jackson tweeted a chart of the earnings moves a day after, and I would just think that Snap and Meta, Snap and Facebook move directionally the same. They don't even a little. That was pretty surprising to me. It is interesting. So maybe you're right, Ben, that Snap's struggles are idiosyncratic to the app just not being able to monetize their user base, which could definitely very well may be. Alex Morris, who's got the Substack, The Science of Hitting, that I've spoken about multiple times, recently showed the stock-based comp as a percentage of trailing 12-month revenue for Snap. And it is pretty steady at 26 27%. 43% of revenue in Q2 2019. 43%? All right. Well, credit to them. It's come down a lot. God. They were in growth mode, I guess. I wonder why tech crashed. Jeez. But Facebook, for example, is only 14%. And we're looking at stock-based comp as a, as a percent of sales. 14% versus 26. That's quite a... I was about to say, in my head, I thought Delta. I don't like... That's a giant red flag for me. If people say Delta in conversation... Oh, as opposed to change? In defense of us, I almost said it. I didn't say it, but I almost said it. We're on a podcast. We're on a financial podcast. If people say Delta in conversation in normal life, I'm out. Back to last week. If you say Delta, you also say per annum. And what else do you say? It's robust. I had an old colleague who used to always say granular, and it always just grinded my gears. Let's get a little more granular with the data here. And I want to be like, you're just trying to sound smart. That's it. You're trying to sound smart. Let's double click on that. So Morgan Stanley said that Snap's ad business is less developed than previous thought. This increases execution risk. TikTok ad dollar share loss See, Morgan risk. Stanley agrees with me. But what's interesting is a double downgrade to underweight with an $8 target. I don't know what the stock is at now. Oh, What does that mean? Rate. I saw this. What does a double downgrade mean? Going from like buy to hold to sell? Because you're yeah, going down so. two pegs? So Mark Mahaney wrote, we had expected soft snap results, but the magnitude of the weakness still surprised us. When fundamentals change this dramatically... It's hard for us not to change our investment opinion, however belated the call. Credit to him. It's like, listen, we were wrong. We were late. But the facts changed, sir. So he changed his mind. Double down. Way to go. Okay. Sure. All right. So as I said, we had Shopify this morning. They report later this week. They laid off 1,000 workers. What's the stock doing? The stock is down. smoked. Ooh, 17% today. It is below the March 2020 low. Is that nuts? Wow. It is below the pandemic low. It's down 82% from its highs. It's only Good nuts because Lord. of how they came off the low. This might be the round trip of all round trips for Shopify. Well, this Still is just a $40 so billion dollar company. Emblematic of the pandemic, just pulling forward so much and making things weird. The stock is where it was in June 2019. I know the market is forward looking, blah, blah, blah. The company is so much bigger now than it was then. And the stock is at the same price. So Toby, what's his last name? Lutke? Luke? Amazon should buy him. Yeah. He said the mix reverting to roughly where pre-COVID data would have suggested it should be at this point. Still growing steadily, but it wasn't a meaningful five-year leap ahead. Ultimately, placing this bet was my call to make, and I got this wrong. Now we have to adjust. So they had 1,900 employees in 2016. 
10,000 in 2021. And look at this chart, US e-commerce adoption growth rate as a percent of addressable retail. It's spiked and it's come down. You know what else he said? They had 2 million employees who are going to be millionaires with stock options that are now worthless. 2 million. <laughs> All right. Hang on, Ben. So, <laughs> all right, never mind. All right, listen, I'll probably take a big L on that one. They reported annual revenue growth of 86% in 2020, 57% in 2021, but they're warning that 2022 numbers would not benefit from pre-pandemic trends. All right, so you have Shopify saying that. You have AT&T saying that they're warning about customers starting to delay their bills. Verizon, this surprised me. Verizon shares had their biggest drop since 2008. They fell 6.7%. What a stable stock that is. A junkie stock, not a good stock, but it only fell 6.7%, making its worst drop since 2008. It's not even a big drop. But isn't that the reason that you buy that stock is for like a 7% dividend and then you just lost it all in a day? Well, if you don't sell, you don't lose. Hello, earth to bend. Paid to wait. paid to wait. Yes. (laughs) So they forecast the second straight quarter of cuts added to concerns that consumers are pulling back. Listen, who are you going to believe? All of these companies or the White House? (laughs) (laughs) I'm also saying, though, like the companies obviously are saying this stuff. But if you're a CEO, this is when you do the kitchen sink, though. You really lower expectations as much as you can right now. Yeah, I get that. But it's not like they're lying. I agree. You think that they're trimming fat just to... Now, maybe they're using this as an excuse, but I don't know why a CEO would want to nuke their stock 20% just to lower expectations. Is he lowering the bar just so he can Fair. raise it? I mean, maybe, I don't know. So this chart is from Pragmatic Engineer. It was in a Eric Newcomer Substack. And it says how the big tech hiring market changed in five months. Amazon, I mean, all the big names. And there's been significant changes. Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Netflix, Twitter. It's just the dominoes are falling. It's one after the other. And it's not just tech. So Weber... The grill. Ben, are you a Weber guy? What do I have? I do have a Weber grill. Yes. I don't know how to grill. My wife does all the grilling, but we have one. Yes. That's a revelation. I didn't know that. My wife is a, an amazing cook and she knows her way around the grill. So I just let her handle it. Fantastic. Net sales performance was affected by slower retail traffic, both in-store and online in all key markets. So people aren't buying grills. They're buying experiences, right, Ben? Did you know that Weber has a restaurant? You can go to a Weber grill and they have like amazing cheeseburgers. Not here. We're in Chicago, a Weber Grill restaurant. Interesting. It's not bad. The company now expects adjusted EBITDA to be marginally profitable, which is materially lower than the internal budget related to the previously announced fiscal year. Okay, what else do we have? Walmart yesterday, they didn't even announce earnings. They're just getting ahead. They put out a press release from the CEO. The increasing levels of food, we spoke about this earlier, but the increasing levels of food and fuel inflation are affecting how customers spend. And while we've made good progress clearing hardline categories, Apparel in Walmart US is requiring more markdown dollars. Is it possible that a lot of the stuff that these companies were taking to margin and complaining about inflation on the way up, that they increased prices to make up for inflation, is it possible we're seeing a lot of that margin just come back to normal levels? Because profit margins for large US corporations have stayed elevated throughout this period of high inflation. And accelerated. Is it possible, yes, that we're just seeing them give back some of that margin that they were getting used to for 18 months. Definitely. I think that's possible. We spoke about Bed Bath & Beyond and the debacle that earnings call was the other day. The Wall Street Journal did a big expose. Is that what you call it? Is an expose a deep dive? Sure. On Bed Bath & Beyond and what changed over the last decade. And 
how they fell. So the part that was interesting to me was their CEO, who just got canned, came in with a mandate to modernize the home goods chain in November of 2019 from Target, whereas chief merchant, he was in charge of product selection and had successfully launched private brands. We've seen this particular story over and over and over again. Did he also walk away with like $15 million for his trouble? I'm sure. Where somebody is successful in one company and they're going to pick that up, move to another company and duplicate the success that they had. Business, life, and podcasting, it's a team sport. It's not this guy. He didn't make Target what it was. It was Target. It was everything that they had built. Credit to me for not using a Warren Buffett quote right now. No, use it, please. Well, what is the quote about? I don't know. It's something something along the lines of good business, bad CEO versus bad business, good CEO. The bad business went out. That That kind of thing. Yeah, I don't remember the exact quote. quote. I'd rather have, eh, you know what we're talking about, don't you? All right. The Wall Street Journal had an article about the price of Air Jordan flipping is now going down. Now, I'm glad they're sharing this stuff because it says like limited edition reselling of Jordans is down 30% and average transactions at places like StockX has fallen. These are the kind of things that you only hear people brag about on the way up. I went on StockX and and I flipped this and I flipped this collectible and this. We're not hearing nearly as much about all that stuff anymore. That's the kind of thing that you hear about it when things are going up and then when they go back down, you don't hear a soul talk about that kind of stuff. So as a personal finance expert, is now the time to scoop up cheap air Jordans or should we wait? (laughs) You're the Jordan connoisseur between us. We need technical analysis on this. That's what we need. All right. I got nothing. Oh man, we haven't even got to crypto yet. Look at this chart pen that I made. This is a little bit stale. So forgive me, I made this last week. Look how Bitcoin and S&P 500 are just basically moving in lockstep. That is pretty good. Thank you. How surprised, if you put a truth serum in a lot of, I'm sure they have the truth serum and the gray man that they could put in someone's neck. The true crypto believers, if they were really being honest, would say, I'm surprised at how much of a risk on risk off asset crypto is. In their heart of hearts, you know, a lot of them thought, this is going to be a diversifying asset. This is going to be something that hedges inflation. And it certainly has not done any of those things. They have to be a little shook by what's transpired, don't you think? Yeah, well, I am. I mean, the hardcore crypto people. When I first bought Bitcoin in the spring or summer of 2020, one of my primary reasons was because I want something that's going to look a little bit different than the stock market. Well, that turned out to be false. I think the thing that we found out is when the market goes up, crypto goes up way more. When the market goes down, crypto goes down way more. For now. Yes. For now. Indisputable. All right. So the Wall Street Journal did this big article that was pretty heartbreaking about some of the people that got burned at Celsius and Voyager. They got a quote, Mr. Jachelski. It's a tough name to pronounce. Mr. Jachelski grew nervous last month. Doesn't it remind you of, you know, when you read the articles in The Onion and they just like show a picture of a guy and they make up a name? Sometimes that's what it feels like. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So Mr. Jachelski grew nervous last month when Celsius froze withdrawals, but he was reassured by an email from Voyager chief executive, Stephen Ehrlich, telling customers their dollars were, quote, as safe with us as at a bank. Then on July 1st, Oof. Voyager froze withdrawals. Days later, it filed for bankruptcy protection. Oh man, he really said that in an email? It's as safe as a bank? That's really bad. Wow. So I hope that guy goes to jail. There is a distinction between... Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi. We had Zach on the podcast last week, and I thought Zach gave a pretty candid interview. They did not do this. They did not get withdrawals. They never stopped paying interest, still to this day. 
So they're getting lumped in. I think it's an unfair criticism. I think that BlockFi definitely deserves some so criticism. So what is the SEC doing? Risk- I saw the SEC said they're going to investigate Coinbase for listing some coins that could be securities on their platform. What are they doing? It seems like they're not doing anything to help any of this with people losing money. It seems like the SEC could make this a lot better if they wanted to. More news on that. they just decided not to. The risk management part, this is tough. So Bloomberg did an article with the Three Hours guys, and they said, after Luna's implosion, Zoo, who's from Three Hours, said lenders were, quote, comfortable with their financial situation and that they allowed them to keep trading, quote, as if nothing was wrong. As court filings have now revealed, many of these loans have required only a very small amount of collateral. Now, we spoke with Zach, and they made a loan to Three Arrows, I think, in June. I don't know if it was after this Luna implosion. I don't know when the dates lined up. But if it was, that's just, I'm sorry, that's tough risk management. How could loans have been made after that with little collateral? That's tough. Is it business risk where these companies are saying, we have to keep this machine going and we need this... I think that's a big part of it because this, so a lot of the article was pretty cringe, but I thought this part was fair. The three hours guy said that lenders to the firm benefited immensely when we were doing well, because as we were doing well, they could say, look, I make $200 million a year from three hours financing business. Give me a 10X multiple on that. And now my own company is worth $2 billion more. All of these kinds of things. And so like the risk departments were very relaxed about the kind of risks that we were taking. I think that is definitely, definitely true. Yes. Right? The three hours was a huge source of revenue and multiple expansion for a lot of these lenders. There's no doubt about it. They had to do it to keep their business growing. The last thing, we'll move off of this. I just want to say that, Ben, on the podcast with Zach, you said that one of the problems with crypto are the people, and there's definitely a lot of that. Obviously, not everybody, but the half fun staying poor crowd, all of that sort of stuff. One voice, breath of fresh air, voice of reason, whatever you want to call it, has been Matt Hogan. They did an update to the crypto market, and it was incredibly calm, rational, and reasonable. So we'll look to that. If you are curious about learning what's going on outside of the hype, I highly suggest people read that. I'll take a look. Okay. Dirk Thompson had this great chart from Our World in Data, and it shows how people spend their time by age. And this is Americans, who they spend their time with. And so it's time spent alone, time spent with a partner, time spent with family, children, friends, and coworkers. And Derek says... Your time spent with family peaks at 15 years old, which makes sense. People become teenagers and they go off to high school and college. With friends, it peaks at 18, which makes sense. Coworkers at 30. Children peaks at 40, which is Uh just a brutal loss for us, especially for me. That's going to be tough. Your partner peaks at 70 and the loan peaks at the end, of course. This made me feel feelings. This made me a little bit emotional. Honestly, yes, because it's pretty darn close to my own life. It's within a plus or minus a few years. I think this nails my situation and probably most listeners. But the fact that I've got only three more years until my peak's time with my children, that makes me sad. I can already feel it. My daughter's eight. She's already starting to do more camps and sports. And I will say, though, the time spent alone goes up and up and up over time. I am way more comfortable spending time alone. Maybe it was a pandemic than I would have thought when I was younger. I kind of find that refreshing at times to spend time alone. Do you get that or no? Do I? Yeah. Hello. I'm the king of being alone. I love it. Okay. Yeah. I enjoy my own company. It's not not bad. Yes. But you're right. This chart does bring a lot of, it's just really well done. So let's move on to recommendations. So rest in peace, Paul Sorvino. So we lost Paul Sorvino recently, Jimmy Kahn, Ray Liotta. I feel like there's one other. Oh, Paulie Walnuts. 
A lot of mobsters, huh? Man, Joe Pesci better not be next. So I think that Paul Sorvino in his role in Goodfellas was underappreciated. Like, imagine Paulie in a lesser man's hands. Yeah, there could have been a movie about that character, too. That's on Netflix, by the way, right now. Just so you know. I think, just so you know, I think I told you this. Three weeks ago, I rewatched Goodfellas and Fall for the first time in a long time. Start to finish. Phenomenal. Actually, I skipped the last 10 minutes. Oh, and one last thing. Last week, I made a mention of the fact that all these food hacks on Instagram never, ever, ever work. Have you ever used a razor to cut garlic like Paulie's system? And then it would just evaporate in the frying pan? I don't cook, so no. Okay. This is a revelation. I didn't know you don't cook. No, I haven't. I'm not a person who cooks at all. I grew up making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Okay. Garlic makes your hands smell for a week. So to be that Uh, intimate with a clove of garlic is tough. All right. So I saw Nope on the release night. Made $44 million. Highest opening weekend for an original film since his last film, Us. All right. So here's my thing. Like most people, Jordan Peele's Get Out was absolutely incredible. One of the best movies of the last 10 years. And then I saw Us by myself. And I left the movie like, did I like that? What just happened? I'm not sure. I wasn't trying to feel. And you know what? Here's where I am. If you have to think about whether or not you liked a movie, you're working too hard. I don't want to work hard, which is why I like The Gray Man. So I did not like Us. And unfortunately... Unfortunately, I did not like Nope, really even a little. There was parts of it. Isn't it an alien movie? Yeah. Or is that, it's too hard to say. Okay. No. So there was parts of it that I enjoyed. It wasn't all bad. I didn't like have a bad time at the movies. It didn't like suck, but it wasn't good. And it makes me sad because I left and I texted my friend, oh no, my friend who's in the movie industry. I texted him, oh no, is Jordan Peele the new M. Night? Meaning- the Sixth Sense was like one of the best movies ever. And then he's just been coasting off of that movie. And it makes me sad because I really wanted to like this movie. I had huge high hopes for... I agree with you that Get Out was easily one of the best movies of the last 10 years. And I didn't watch Us because it seemed like it was more... Like Get Out was a subtle horror movie. That one seemed like more of a horror horror movie. So I just said, eh, not for me. I didn't watch it. Yeah, again, things about Us that I enjoy. But overall, I'm never going to rewatch that movie. And I'm definitely never going to rewatch Nope. And the critics will like this because it's like beautifully shot or whatever. It's well done. Okay. Some of the, the acting tomatoes, was, the critics are going to do higher than the audience. Some of the acting was phenomenal, but just disappointed. All right. Last week we spoke about how box office has done very, very well this year, like very well. And will it continue for the rest of the year? We were pessimistic. I think we were wrong because on the back half, we got some big hits here. We've got what's coming out. Bullet train is going to do well. I think black Adam, the rock is going to be huge. Black Panther is going to be massive. And Creed 3 is going to be big. And Avatar. Oh, they need another Creed movie, really? Yeah, I don't need Haven't it. They made but enough I'm going to go see it. Movies? Come on. Avatar. I, think I watched it too. Avatar is going to do a billion dollars easily. Maybe two. I freaking love Avatar. I did too. When's that come out? It's been 10 years since the last one. That's coming out in December. So actually, I'm optimistic that 2022 is going to be a banger of a year for the box office. Oh, and another Indiana Jones, too. Give me a break. With Harrison Ford. Did you finish The Old Man? I did. All right. I assumed it was going to be a one-season show. I read the book. The book starts off amazing. The first 30% of the book is great, and then it tails off. I feel like the show kind of did that, too. It should have been a one-season show. I feel like they spread it out to make it But I liked it, but I don't want a second season. 
it was good, but it shouldn't have been a two-season show. I feel like they stretched it out. The first two episodes were awesome, and I felt like it didn't get bad, but it just it slowed down and lost. I'm not looking forward to the second one. One more. I mentioned The Gray Man. I rewatched The Mexican this weekend, so that's Never Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, James Gandolfini, J.K. Simmons. Not a good movie, but very entertaining, and also like a movie that was made in the early 2000s that they would never make today. Why? Violent? Not violent, just kind of like a fun, felt like a Guy Ritchie kind of movie, but just a bunch of different stories going on, and they all kind of come together. This is pretty easy, right? Julia Roberts' greatest smile in history. Oh, yeah. Right? Notting Hill is my favorite rom-com. Actually, When Harry Met Sally, but that's number two. Close. All right, that's all I got. All right, we went long on this one. Why? It was a busy week. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. NASDAQ's down 1.4%. Review? Yeah, subscribe, rate, review, all those things. Come to Future Proof. Animalspiritspod at gmail.com, and we will see you next week.